We have two short readings, uh, as you can see behind me. We're continuing through Colossians. Uh, Colossians 3, uh, verses 20 to 21, and then we'll jump into Ephesians as well. So if you want to just mark those in your Bibles in front of you. Colossians 3, verse 20 and 21. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. And continuing through to Ephesians 6, 1 to 4. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honour your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. No. Uh, Special, I'm Scott, by the way, one of the ministers here. Lovely to have you in church with us this morning. Uh, Special welcome to fathers. My first day as a father was epic, as in very long, it was a marathon our eldest son was quite um, unwell in utero, and so we were booked into a caesarean section at Royal North Shore. First thing Monday morning at 6 a.m. And that procedure went well enough, I think. But I remember both of us waiting for hours, and I mean like eight hours post-delivery, waiting to see our new baby. And only this week I was thinking back to that time, wondering what was going on. Um, and I, I guess one way or another they were probably saving his life. And uh, we finally saw him very briefly, and then he was whisked away in an ambulance to Westmead Kids Hospital, and I followed behind in the car, fast. (laughs) And uh, Carolyn was moved to the the General Hospital at Westmead uh, the following day. And we actually stayed inside Westmead Kids Hospital. We lived inside the hospital. There's rooms there for the first 10 days. I remember crouching next to him in the infant intensive care unit late that very first night. It was all kind of covered with tubes and tape, and really just whispering ballads to him, because all I could do and uh, I, I just didn't know what I'd got myself into, and I didn't know how things would go. And uh, truthfully, one of the things about parenting is that actually we're, we're all um, kind of just making it up as we go, aren't we? You want to have duct tape on hand in all situations. And uh, the thing about parenting is it's not like you get a trial run through, is it? You don't get a chance to redo it if you muff it up. And, and every kid's different as well. So what does it actually mean to be a good parent? Plenty of theories around that, aren't there? Uh, some say you need to be super structured with your kids, chop, chop. Uh, others say you've got to go to them as soon as there's a sniffle. Um, others say, look, the iPad's going to do just as good a job as you're going to do. Invest. Uh, but today from the book of Colossians and actually in a few other places in Scripture, we're going to look at what it means to be a good parent, but we're actually also going to think about what it means to be a good child. And I think they're both excellent questions to look at on Father's Day. As Nathan said, we've devoted this term to our study of the book of Colossians. We've called it Above All. It was a letter written by the Apostle Paul, that's Jesus' specially appointed spokesman, to a bunch of Christians in a small town called Colossae in modern-day Turkey, 
We've called our study Above All because it testifies that Jesus is above all things. He created all things. He wishes to reconcile all things to himself. In him the fullness of God dwells and we have been given spiritual fullness in him in a way that the competing voices and philosophies of our day simply cannot match. But the back half of this book of Colossians, it turns very practical, you see. And so we're slowing down to cover some of those practical issues properly. Last week, uh, we looked at the big issue of domestic violence. If you weren't here, it's worth listening to on the church uh, website. Next week, we're looking at what it means to be a hard worker. Uh, But today, we're thinking about good parents. And though it's very tempting for us to dive straight into what it might mean for us to be good parents, especially those of us who've got little kids... In whatever capacity that might take place, whether we're biological parents, whether we're adoptive parents, godparents, grandparents, spiritual fathers and mothers to other kids, the actual best place to start is to remember that God is our good father. He's a good father, as we've sung already this morning. Psalm 68 verse 5 describes God as a father to the fatherless, as a defender of widows, Psalm 103 wonderfully says this about God, 103. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed, he remembers we are dust. The life of us mortals is like grass, flourish like a flower of the field. The wind blows over and it's gone and its place remembers it no more, but... But of course, from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him and his righteousness with their children's children, with those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. He's compassionate. His love remains with us. See, I know that uh, for some of us, and I, I suspect many of us, Father's Day can be a difficult day, might be a day in which we grieve the loss of our own fathers, or we regret words that were left unsaid and now it's too late. It might remind us of our own lack or our own loss, uh, or a lack of access to our own children, whether they've moved away, maybe they're no longer interested in us, perhaps they've been taken away from us, maybe we only see them two days every fortnight because the courts which we sense are unjustly skewed against us have ruled that way. It actually is a part of me that wishes there weren't such days as Valentine's Day and Father's Day. I I personally don't like the forcedness of those days. Like if you really love your sweetheart, why do you have to give them roses and chocolates on Valentine's Day just because Big W tells me so? Since when were they my boss? And and I don't like the the, uh, invented commercialism of the day. Uh, I did get socks. Everyone gets socks. I got socks uh, for Father's Day. But my boys, what they really wanted to get me is this loud hailer they saw in Target, $25. <laughs> I said to what? my youngest two, what do I want a loud hailer for? And they're like, it's, it's going to be great, Dad. You can get us to come to the dinner table when we're not listening to you. <laughs> I said, you could always just come to the dinner table when I asked you the first time, you know. And they're like, yeah, but this loud hail is excellent. There's a, there's a switch and you can use it as a siren and everything. I'm like, there will be sirens, kids. (laughs) Watch out. But, you know, I wonder whether these days, you know, there's a sense in which they do just amplify the the pain and the 
the deficit, if you're in any way different from the perfectly functional nuclear family with mum, dad, 2.4 kids, detached house, SUV, and a cute dog that never poops on your well-maintained lawns. If you don't have a lover on Valentine's Day, or if you don't have children on Mother's Day, or if you don't have a good father on Father's Day. And men, I'd be happy to give up Father's Day to spare you that hurt, but better than that, I can tell you with great assurance that in God we have a good, good father. In fact, he's the very best thing that we have, even if we've got the perfect nuclear family with the kids, the house, the puppy and the lawns. How deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure that he would give his only son to make us wretches his treasure. He is perfect in all of his ways. He protects us and he provides for us. And he guards us and he guides us and he warns us and he disciplines us and he cherishes us and he loves us. Whatever we're going to say today about being a good parent, it's got to be derived from the fact that in God, we have the very best of fathers who has compassion upon us and who loves us from generation to generation. God is indeed our good father. Now, folks, I don't know if you've ever thought about it this way, but you never uh, hear God and Jesus described as teammates, do you? Never described as buddies or colleagues or wingmen or homeboys or partners. It's not an accident, is it, that God reveals himself to us as father and Jesus is the son. In other words, there is family at the very heart of the Godhead. And so it's not just the plan of God in creation to establish a family unit that we read about in Genesis 2, it's actually through the lens of his family unit that he reveals his character to us. Now, one of the things that means is that when we honour our parents, we are learning a posture that is appropriate to our relationship with God, our Heavenly Father. And so secondly today, I want to say good children obey their parents. That's actually going to help us obey God. Good children honour and obey their parents. And uh, we just heard that from Justin in Colossians chapter 3, verse 20. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. And that's nuanced just a little bit in Ephesians chapter 6 with the concept of honouring your parents. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honour your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with a promise, so that it may go well with you and you may enjoy a long life on the earth. And so that's very clear, isn't it? Especially if you're a kid, you're a teenager here today, and I'm going to be saying it to the teenagers later on tonight. Yeah. <laughs> Just a little giggle, a murmur. You've got to do what your parents say, unless it contravenes the law of God, that is. And that's actually the way God has set things up. You look at Colossians, obedience to parents pleases the Lord. According to Ephesians, obedience is right. It's, it's actually pretty clear. And things going well... That should lead to greater enjoyment of life than childish tantrums or teenage rebellion. As a Sunday school teacher once, and uh, she was teaching the Ten Commandments to a bunch of five-year-olds. 
And after explaining the commandment to honour your father and mother, she said, Is there a commandment, kids, that teaches us how to treat our brothers and sisters? Without missing a beat, one little girl answered, Thou shalt not kill. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Those of us who have got little kids, and maybe even teenagers, we love verses like these verses, don't we? We can show our kids Colossians 3 verse 20, point it out in black and white and say, See... Obey us in everything. This pleases the Lord. But just remember, parents, that all of us are also children, aren't we? All of us brought into the world by a mother, and most of us have had or still have fathers. And so it might temper our enthusiasm to insist upon total obedience of our children when we see that actually that standard is applied to us in our relationship with our parents, even though we're grown. Uh, Ephesians 6 there, it quotes the fifth commandment from the, uh, the book of Exodus. Um, you know that when God gave Moses the Ten Commandments in Exodus, which includes that fifth commandment to honour our father and our mother, he was giving them to the whole community of Israel. In other words, he was giving them to adults. So how do these verses apply to us as adult children with our parents? Well, I do think that quotation from Ephesians chapter 6 is going to be a help to us because it does nuance that concept of obedience by quoting the fifth commandment to honour your parents. And I think honour does just nuance obedience. It still recognises that even as adults we've got an obligation to our parents, but because we've transitioned from childlike dependence to self-responsibility, it's going to be a bit different. Rather than sort of strict submission to our parents per se, it's more like we act on the basis of the wisdom that they've instilled in us. And in fact, we still give heed to their ongoing wisdom or advice they might share with us. Perhaps we give their uh, advice greater regard and consideration than the advice of our friends. We don't simply think that because we've arrived at adulthood, we now know everything there is to know. And, and we esteem them as people of standing in our lives. Now, that's a general principle, isn't it? So, uh, what are the practical ways that we can honour our parents? And how do we even do that if our parents aren't great? Well, here are some practical ideas for honouring our parents, uh, even as adults. Firstly, um, we can be thankful for them. Uh, they did a lot of stuff for us when we could do nothing for ourselves, didn't they? And uh, I'm sure long afterwards as well. We can talk to them, can visit them, we can ask questions about themselves. We can actually talk truthfully about ourselves to them. We can ask for advice. It might even be useful, mightn't it? Uh, I guess our parents probably know our strengths and weaknesses better than anyone else, Um, even if Our parents aren't Christians, so they might not be able to advise us spiritually, but they're most likely to be on the money in a whole range of life issues. So we can ask for advice. We can uh, pray for them and encourage them. I read one writer this week. uh, She said, it will be impossible for us to honour our parents without praying for them. And I just thought, jab, jab, uppercut. She really landed. She goes on, getting older... It's not easy. It's a huge temptation to get discouraged. There are many regrets. There's cultural pressure to retire and live selfishly. 
there are financial strains, there are serious medical issues, and death is more and more on the mind. If we aren't praying for our parents, who will? Uh, fifthly, this morning, I'm sure there's more. Take care of them, especially as they get older. I don't know if you've seen this week that the issue of elder abuse has been in the press. That is, abuse of the elderly. New South Wales Elder Abuse Helpline and Resource Unit says the number of calls to the helpline is increasing. It is becoming more common, partly because of the housing affordability issue, for grown children to bully their parents into downsizing prematurely, sometimes even threatening them with not being able to see their grandchildren if they don't give them an early inheritance to enter the housing market. Do you know there is even a name for it now? It's called Inheritance Impatience. Adult children fighting over the opportunity to take from their parents. Well, Christians ought to be fighting over the opportunity to take care of our parents. And so there are some ways I think that we can honour our parents, uh, especially if we've got a reasonable relationship with them. Now, not all of us do. Some of us have been deserted by our parents, have been abandoned or abused. Some of us have been neglected whilst siblings have been favoured. Some of us are being emotionally manipulated by them even to this very day. So let me say that if you're not in a safe home or relationships with your parents is genuinely, genuinely unsafe, I don't just mean maybe they're a little bossy or they're tight wads or they just don't get you, then I, of course I'd encourage you to get into a safe place. Everyone has the right to feel safe all the time. And I would encourage you to speak to someone about it because nothing is so awful that you can't talk about it with someone. And if you're in that sort of a relationship, you, you might not be able to talk to your parents, you might not be able to visit them. All you might be able to do is to pray that they would own their own abusive behaviour and seek to make it right. All that you might have learned from your parents is how not to do things. In which case, make sure you truly learn that lesson and you write the story of your life and your parenting journey, rather than rehashing their attempt. Many of us won't have that degree of dysfunction in our relationships with our parents. Uh, we might find them irritating still, or selfish, or even hurtful. But we can still be thankful for the good things they have done for us, even though imperfectly. I'd encourage you to do that. We can still probably talk to them respectfully, and of course, we still might need to take care of them as they get older. Well, it is true that good children honour and obey their parents. I, um, you would have seen, I guess, I do most of the baptisms here at St Matthews. Um, you would have seen me do them, I guess. And uh, family was dry. It's not a real family. This is just a segue into the joke. Just letting you know that. That means you've got to laugh later on. I'm not sure it's going to work, actually, so see if you can pick the punchline. A family... <laughs> so stupid. A family was driving home from church one Sunday morning after the little daughter had just been baptised, and the four-year-old brother was sobbing in the back seat all the way home. His mum and dad kept asking him, what's wrong? But he couldn't talk. It was just tears and more sobbing. And finally the little boy blurted out, the minister at the baptism said he wanted us to be brought up in a Christian home. 
but I really wanted to stay with you guys. Thank you for laughing at the right spot. Thirdly today, uh, good parents are actually those who teach their kids about Jesus without exasperating them. That's what good parents do. Uh, Let's have a look at Ephesians 6 that uh, Justin read to us. Fathers, don't exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Or, Or again in Colossians 3. Fathers, don't embitter your children or they will become discouraged. Good parents teach their kids about Jesus without exasperation. Now, the truth is good parents will do all sorts of good things for their children. But Christian parents, what marks us as different or separate or, uh, is that we won't neglect the raising of our kids in the instruction of the Lord. In addition to providing shelter, food, clothing, safety, encouragement, stability, opportunities and so on. Now, I actually do want us to think broadly, as Nathan suggested, about uh, what it means to be a parent. I mean, clearly it means biological or adoptive parents, but I think it can also include being a grandparent or a godparent or another significant relative. Uh, It it might even just mean, to varying degrees, being an older person of spiritual influence, school teacher, a coach, a pastor, whoever. Uh, Many of us can say, she was like my spiritual mother. Or he was as a father to me, Christian-wise. So let's think broadly about the various ways in which we can teach younger people within our spheres about following Jesus. But without doubt, parents in the home have got a special privilege and responsibility to do this. We are hands-on in the raising of our kids in every way, and yet often not in the training and instruction of the Lord. How very strange when this is the most important instruction we can give them. And so parents, I do want to encourage you to encourage your children in their journey of following Jesus. How you're going to do this is going to change as they get older, but there's stuff that all of us can do that does not require expert skills. You see, when they're younger, when they're little ditty ones, you can read one of those Bible story books to them before they go to bed. I think you can do it from like six months. doesn't matter if they can't read. They can see the pictures. They'll become familiar with the stories. All of us can do that. We can bring them to church week by week. That's not a higher level skill for Christians. We actually ought to be doing that if we're Christian parents because we need our kids to get a sense that God's purposes for this world include all sorts of other people. As they get older, we can pray with our children around the dinner table or the breakfast table at least a few times a week. We can ask them what they've been learning at kids' church or youth group. When they start driving... When they start driving and you're through that stage of near-death experiences, right? why wouldn't you use some of those 120 hours talking about God or faith or what they think about God or what you think about God or how they're going at following Jesus or just how wonderful forgiveness and fresh starts are? And then, of course, you'll have to put that into practice, won't you, if you're teaching teenagers how to drive? I reckon you can probably only force kids to come to church until they're about 15 years of age, beyond which it's counterproductive. I think that's right. I remember my parents, they were very, very wise um, when I was that age because I said, I just don't want to go in that camp. I don't want to go. We always used to go and I don't want to go. 
Now, they didn't force me, but I do remember mum just giving me some quiet encouragement that it really was worth meeting with God's people. It really was worth leaning into his goodness. So maybe it's just a quiet word. Maybe just some gentle encouragement. And obviously they're going to need to see an authentic Christian life modelled before them. Now, um, if you're in our small groups, and I recommend them, this week you'll read a section of Deuteronomy 6. You'll have a chance to see how an authentic, all-of-life Christian example is what we're urged to do if we're going to raise our kids in the knowledge and love of God. So if you're in a small group, look forward to that during the week. But let me say, before all things and beyond all else, we can pray for our kids, can't we? No matter what their age. Now, I've got a special word today to fathers and to future fathers, seeing as it's Father's Day. Here's my special word to you. You need to be in it. You need to be in it. So don't hide behind your job or your busyness or your pastimes. You need to be in this. Not that it's a project as such, but raising your kids. Man, it is a more important project than running the business, than climbing the ladder, than playing golf or going cycling and going fishing, mucking around in your shed, whatever it is. And we cannot leave this just to the mums. I realise many of us are out late during the week. Well, you make sure you're the one who reads the stories on the weekends. Don't you be the ones to drag your heels and make it harder for the whole family to get to church. You know that your kids are watching you, especially your sons, but all your kids. They're looking for an example to follow and they don't miss a damn thing. Mum and dads, you guys have got to be in this together wherever that is possible. Now, fathers, while I've got your attention, you will have noticed there was instruction delivered specifically to us from both Colossians and Ephesians. Fathers, don't embitter your children. Fathers, don't exasperate your children. It's not saying that mothers can't embitter and exasperate their kids, but fathers are especially prone to this. It's funny, isn't it? On one hand... Uh, fathers are tempted to abdicate their responsibility for raising our kids, both generally and Christianly. And in that sense, we're just following our first father, Adam, who abdicated responsibility. You remember in the Garden of Eden, there was a situation on, and what did he do? So we're just following him when we do that. So don't do that. Hide behind our jobs and our hobbies. Let's not do that. But on the opposite uh, side of things, we can be too critical. Have you found that in yourselves? We can be too quick to point out ways that our children can improve, too impatient with their folly, and we can be way too harsh in our speech. Now, it is true, man. Some kids are raised to be prima donnas and princesses, and whatever the male equivalent of that is. I don't know what the male equivalent is. Jerk? (laughs) Rat? I don't know. Uh, So don't do that, because you kill them. We'll kill them with kindness. But most of our kids probably just need, a, need to hear us say more often, I love you. I'm really proud of you. Proud of the person you're becoming. You know, there's nothing you can do that is so stupid that it'll stop me from loving you. And hopefully that won't be an encouragement for them to do the most stupid thing imaginable. So dads, let's use our words in those ways.
Now, I did say earlier that uh, we should think broadly about what it means to be a parent, because I actually do think there are lots of ways, uh, lots of means which we have to be a spiritual influence on those who are younger than us. We might be grandparents. There's grandparents here, many of them. There are godparents here, uncles and aunts, family friends, school teachers, coaches, kids' church leaders, youth leaders. You might even just be uh, an elderly believer who walks with a walking stick, but you smile with warmth at the kids in the courtyard so that at sub subconscious level, they will pick up that following Jesus makes getting older better. Well, you want to use whatever influence you have for the good of our young people. But as we finish, I really just want to say um, to all the fathers with us, I hope you guys have a really happy Father's Day. I hope you have got something better than a loud hailer from Target. And I really do trust that we will make efforts to honour our parents wherever we can do that. But beyond all that, and for every single one of us, I hope Father's Day is a day in which we remember we have a good, good father. One who has made us wretches his treasure. Should we trust in his son? One who has compassion upon us. One who deeply loves us. One who is our good parent. Let me finish by praying. Heavenly Father God, thank you for being our good, good Father. Help us to be good children to our earthly parents. And those of us here who are parents, grandparents, godparents, significant relatives, significant spiritual influences, help us to raise the young ones in our lives in the instruction of the Lord without exasperating them. To the glory of Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Nathan's going to lead us in the Lord's Supper.